Yeah, and, and I should also say, like, like, there's a more cynical interpretation you could give, like, so to the extent that uh, the Soviet Union was extremely collectively good at this, that they, they did produce a ridiculous number of, uh, like, a disproportionate number, I mean, even for a country that large, right, of, of the... Um, of the best players in the world, right? There's the there's the really positive spin on that that I just gave. There's a sort of neutral spin on that, which is uh, which is that um, you know it's mostly just a cultural thing. You know, it, it it doesn't really have that much to do with what the system is. Although I suppose you could test that by comparing either czarist or or Putinist Russia. You know, to the Soviet Union, uh, and then there's like, a, and then there's like a negative spin, which, uh, which I guess you'd have to test by comparing the Soviet Union to other authoritarian but non-communist countries, which is that like, uh, if you have a, you know, that like that one of the good things about chess, you know, from is, like, uh, you know, from a Stalinist perspective, is that it's something that's like, you can have people who. Um, you know, it, it's like a sort of form of intellectual activity and expression that doesn't actually, uh, you know, that's totally politically neutral. So, like, of course, uh, you know, so, of course, in a very authoritarian country, you know, it's, it's kind of like a safe outlet, you know, for uh, for, for those, uh, you know, for those energies. So, so it's going to be something that's going to come up a lot. I guess that would be the, the negative spin. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because in the intro to Soltis's book I showed, Soviet Chess 1970-91, he says, um, he makes an interesting contrast. He says, especially in the 1930s, chess was a way for people who are intellectually minded to have a pretty safe and rewarding right. career. And he contrasts that. He said government service could be more dangerous, especially yeah, right. in the 1930s. He's alluding to Stalin and the purges. So, I mean, he does actually touch on stuff like that, that it was a way for, I mean, state subsidized intellectualism and... Um, um, from from an American perspective, I forget which master it was in the Bobby Fischer documentary I mentioned, Bobby Fischer's World, but he says, and he uses the word privileged, and maybe some leftists would argue about that, saying, you know, all the top players of Union were privileged because they had these stipends and they had this government backing. It's like in America, we were, we were all of us were on our own. And that's not totally true in the sense that there were, there wasn't any sense of, there was chess community and there was, you know, chess civil society, but there, and there wasn't any like organized apparatus beyond, I guess, the U.S. Chess Federation, and they obviously weren't engaged in it in the same way the Soviets were engaged in, like, yeah, right. treating chess collectively. So yeah. so it's interesting that he calls them privileged because, you know, it's a socialist country. And, and maybe comparatively, they, I mean, they might, maybe some, even some leftists would argue they were privileged, but I thought that's well, how, how an American master is seeing them, you know. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I'm sure they I'm sure they were right. I mean, like they literally got like special privileges, you know, uh, for because they were they were doing this, uh, and and certainly had the the time to uh, lots of time to devote to it, you know, because because that's all they were expected to do uh, is, uh, is is devote themselves to uh, to chess, uh, which you know presumably uh, you know at least many fewer people you know were able to uh, to cobble together a way of doing and. In the United uh, in the United States, uh, so that makes sense. Yeah, and on that note, actually, there's a story when Bobby Fischer beat Timonoff. He beat Timonoff and the Danish player Bent Larsen playing these candidate matches, kind of an elimination to decide who was going to face Spassky. 
And he almost beat Tigran Petrosian 6-0, to zero, but Tigran fought back, and he was a Soviet player. But when Taimanov lost to him 6-0, to zero, he came back to the Soviet Union. The authorities really uh, savaged him and restricted him and went after his chess career. But there's a new in chess, and I forget the issue, that says the customs guard stopped overlooking subversive literature. And, or he told him, if you had beaten Fisher, you know, I would have carried the subversive literature he didn't call literally yeah, right. to his car you know that party said right so you can see how like you know privilege with the state give if it can take it away if you don't perform well enough in this this cold war competition with bobby fisher so um yeah right which is which is a very, yeah right which is a um you know which which is maybe like a very small and, and not necessarily very important but uh but interesting example of I think a much more general point that that I would make an argument that I'd make I think as a, a, a democratic socialist about how uh, a lot of the benefits of, uh, of of socialist economic policies just don't just just stop making sense or or stop or stop operating as benefits uh, if uh, if they're combined with uh, with political authoritarianism you know so because you, you could have uh, you know like if you like, if you have various sorts of state support and no democratic mechanisms, constitutional safeguards, uh, all that stuff, then yeah, right. What's state give it that can take it away, right? If uh, yeah, I... if if you have it with all that stuff, then it's actually you know much harder for the state to take it away than it, than it would be for like a private employer to uh, to take it away, right? Like I always think of. Uh, you know, you know, one of my favorite examples of this is like when uh, Ronald Reagan was governor of California and he, he tried to get um, Angela Davis fired from uh, the University of California system for political views. And the courts actually stopped him from doing that because as a public employee, uh, you know, she had First Amendment you know, protections, uh, which which you wouldn't have in a private workplace. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if you have a but if you have political authoritarianism, um, uh, you know, then it could, you could just have these like sort of arbitrary and capricious things. You know, well, we'll put up for this from you because like you're you're winning all these games and it's good for propaganda. But you know, maybe you start losing and you know, and, and we'll and we'll put up with a lot less now. Uh, so so yeah, that I, I can certainly see how that might go. Yeah, well, on the plus side, there's no record that any of the top Soviet regimes were ever executed. And in fact, Stalin, I found this out reading Soltis, Aliyekin because of his class past, insofar as he was in, when he was still in the USSR, like he narrowly escaped execution near the beginning in the turmoil because someone accused yeah. him of some sort of anti-Soviet speech or activity. And Soltis speculates maybe it was like a sore loser in chess, but he had a friend in like the revolutionary structure who got him, oh, who got him out of being executed. But later on, like, one of I forget who it was one of stop another top person in the Soviet state was like telling Stalin or they shouldn't let him travel abroad or to rep to play in these tournaments. You know he's counter revolutionary. He has this white background. I talked about his father and his mother and Stalin actually uh, vouched in his favor. So I mean it's it's um so I mean they could be nuanced at times about it. Um, I'm not aware that he ever wrote anything at all that was anti-Soviet per se, um, he probably, I don't think he was an ideological communist, but then again, most Soviet GMs other than Mikhail 
uh, Vontovic were not communists. They weren't necessarily anti-Soviet, that just uh, Marxist ideology and the Soviet system didn't preoccupy them. It just, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't necessarily yeah. rebel, but they didn't necessarily have strong thoughts about being supportive of the party, like Vontovic, uh, um, Botvinnik did. But even then, um, Botvinnik, I read, refused to sign a letter about the doctor's plot related to Stalin until some Jewish doctor spoke up on Stalin's side of that debate. And then he signed it. So even he would you know, hesitate to endorse totally without question anything because the Soviet authorities would ask their these leading players as public personalities to sign um, like, you know, stuff related to political causes outside of the Soviet Union too. And and I and I know Spassky would refuse. Boris Spassky has talked about refusing in an article online. So none of them were ever executed for that. And I don't think he was even punished. But um, some of them just stayed out of that political. Yeah, stuff. I mean, if anybody yeah. would have been, yeah. it would have been in like the thirties or forties. Uh, you know, which is you know the sort of. Uh, you know, Stalinist, uh, you know, Stalinist terror uh, era. This has been a free public preview of a patron exclusive episode of Give Them an Argument. To get the rest of this episode and every other patron exclusive episode, go to patreon.com slash Ben Burgess.